So we're continuing on. So in verse 3, he's going to talk about the Son, the Son of God, the Son of Man. According to the human nature, he was born to the Jewish race, to the tribe of Judah. And so we're going to see why. In the next verse, he's going to talk about the divine side. So we'll see who this person is and was and shall be. So all the prophecies of Scripture of the Old Testament were to culminate in the Son of God. Jesus often called himself more the Son of Man. Many things about him, he did not open their understanding until the last week or so. They understood him as being the coming Messiah and a prophet and a teacher, but they still didn't fully understand that he was God. He was a part of the Godhead, restrained. And when they asked, remember before he left, show us the Father and we'll be happy. And he said, how long have I been with you and you don't know me? And then the, after Pentecost, you'll see them addressing prayer to the Father and to the Son and to both. And sometimes it's hard to tell who they're talking to. They say, God, our Savior. Then they say, Jesus Christ, our Savior. They understood. Their eyes were open. And Thomas got it, remember? He wasn't there when the Lord first appeared to the apostles. And he said, I'll never believe unless I see the scars in his hand and the and his side. And so when Jesus appears, he says, touch me and see that I'm not just a spirit. See, even though he came to the wall out of nowhere, see, he was human and divine. And when he did this, Thomas made an interesting statement. He said, my Lord and my God. He was addressing Jesus as both Lord and God. He recognized this. See, the spirit opened his understanding. And the third meeting or so, uh, he breathed on them, and they were born again into the new covenant. This was before Pentecost. He said he breathed on them. What did, why he did this as God. And Christ himself indwelled them in his spirit as God. See, So that's why we see and hear a lot in epistles about Christ in you. Jesus told the disciples before he left, he said, I am with you. See, because he was confined to the human body. He had emptied himself of divinity and was living the human life under submission to the Father. But he said, I shall be in you. When he's restored to the Godhead in his glory, he's one with the Father and the Spirit. Okay, That's how he says, I will come and indwell you and live within you. So what we're seeing here, until after his resurrection, uh, he referred to himself more as the Son of Man. He's relating himself with humanity, taking on the human nature. These revelations show the pre-existent, we call the Son, or the Word of God, the Logos of God. He was the incarnation. The Godhead somehow entered into humanity. He took on a human life and yet retained who he was without using the power of who he was. That's hard for us to understand, but that's what he did, okay? He took on the human nature. He was born of a woman, offspring of the generation of David the king, and he was fulfilling prophecies to come through that tribe. According to the law, the man was the priest of the Jewish family. 
and he was recognized as the head. So because Jesus was born of the woman and God was the father, Joseph was the stepfather. He was recognized as the head of the family. He had to come from the tribe of Judah also. And he did. Him and Mary are descendants through different lines right up through David. Solomon and the prophets didn't. And so interesting how the Lord has to fulfill these things according to the law. Okay. So he would be a man, yet he would be limited. And scripture says he emptied himself. So he could not use his divinity or was not able without the Father's help. If he did it, it would be rebellion. So that was one of the reasons the devil tried to get him to use his divinity without the Father's permission. And he didn't do it, see? And he was hungry, and he was starving, and he could have simply spoke to the rocks and said, be bread. Or he could have said, Father, I don't want to do this anymore. And the Lord would have sent angels as they did, and they fed him after the temptation. He still didn't use his divinity. He says angels came and ministered to him. So that was the great temptation for Jesus. The three greatest ones was to use his divinity apart from the will of the Father. He could not do this and redeem man. He could not do this and fulfill the plan of God. So Joseph was recognized as the head of the family, born of Judah. Mary gave the physical, human nature life through her body. And the father himself, when he came upon her, the scriptures, the spirit of the most high, he was a unique being. He was not half God and half man. He was all God and all man. But his God was limited. And we will see this for man's benefit. He was made a little lower than the angels. Even in his sinless state, he was considered lower because he was put in humanity. And he remained sinless, we will see, through his whole life. Okay? So we see it's important. Back in the 60s, when it was popular to be rebellious in the hippie movement, surveys were taken of the main denominations in the world, including the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestants. And over a third of the ministers did not believe in the virgin birth. How do they call themselves Christians, huh? That tells us something. They didn't believe Jesus was divine. And they're supposed to be preaching the gospel. So that tells us a sad story, doesn't it? Okay. So when Adam and Eve sinned, and it was Eve first, the Bible says she was tricked. She was deceived. She had no flesh in her. We have to remember this. We all have flesh now. She was like the angels. They had no flesh in them. Then one third of them sinned against God and were cast out of heaven. No redemption is made for them for the privileges they had and how close they were to God, seeing him as he is face to face. And so the scripture calls it the sin of Adam. He was held more responsible. Isn't that interesting? The Roman false church tries to blame a woman for everything. The scripture, Paul says, it's the son of Adam. He doesn't call it the son of Eve. He was the authority. If he had not obeyed his wife in this area, she may have been redeemed. It may have not entered into sin. 
He was the one responsible. And so God held him that. So God had to have a person come that did not have the same nature, the same as Adam and Eve before they sinned. The male, and according to the law, was the head and priest and responsible under the law. So the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus is called the last Adam. By the word of God, he takes on human nature without the sinful nature, which we would say original sin or impulses drawn towards sin. And even that did not totally damn a person. A person born, they were judged by God more for their actions and for the actual sinning. And he had standards for them and made sacrifices and winked at certain things. He did not expect perfection from them, even though they were not perfect. Okay, He did not expect them to overcome certain things. But certain things he did. And under every covenant, they were judged and cut off if they didn't abide by it. And so that's why they made sacrifice and did certain things to symbolize what Christ would do and he would cover and remove their sins. So he was the last Adam. He had to be put in a position without the flesh in him. We say the flesh, the carnal nature, not the human itself. And it says Adam, the first Adam, was a living soul. It says the second Adam, the last Adam, he was a life-giving spirit. See, he was made in a different way. He was divine nature confined to a human body, limited for a period of time. But he was going to exercise, when he resurrected and ascended, his full Godhead. So the scriptures telling us who he was. God had to redeem man and make him righteous by himself. He had to somehow deal with this sin to appease his holiness and wrath, which he is just and holy and desires it. So we see God worked all these things out, but he did it himself. He was a life-giving spirit. Okay, the word of God, which John tells us, what, in the Gospel of John, the first verse, in the beginning of everything, it was the word of God. Okay, the logos, this is a person, not written scripture. And the word was with God, and the word was God. It immediately tells us that there's a distinction in the Godhead. There's the what we know the Father and the Word and the Spirit. We later call him the Son when he takes on the human nature. We use the Son of God, but he wasn't the Son in the sense until he took on the nature. He was Son by prophecy, but he was always the Word of God. He was one with the Father, and he helped in creation. He did everything that the Father did, okay? So John tells us this, that he became flesh. Who did? The Word of God. He became flesh. Even though he was God, he became flesh. Philippians says he emptied himself of his divinity, the use of his divinity, and took on the nature of man. See, he did this, and he did it without a sinful nature, okay? That would be Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. But he made himself, this is Jesus Christ, of no reputation before, as he was the word of God, taking the form of a servant. 
He took on humanity. That's why the scripture says he was made a little lower than the angels. That was in his humanity, okay? And he took on the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So the problem was that God, to redeem man, a man had to do it under his rules, and so he became obedient. He had to obey the Father perfectly. Not only was he born without a sinful nature, he had to willfully obey the Father. Later on, he says, as I see the Father work, I work. He was a unique being, not just of the Godhead. He tells us, he said, the Father has life in himself. He's a spirit. And he said, he have given to the Son to have life in himself. He's talking about humanity. So he had a spirit and personality and everything like a man does. So he was unique. Like we say, he was not half God and half man. We don't fully understand. But he could yield to temptation. Many false Christians and uh, stupid Christians say, oh, Jesus overcame because he was God. No, he didn't. He overcame because he was a man that was obedient to God and did not willfully sin against him and did not have the magnetic drawing of the nature of fallen man. So it's greater when we see what God accomplished in Jesus. It was a great thing he accomplished. He did it as a man. When he was baptized with the Spirit as a man, he never worked miracles on his own. He did it through the Father's Spirit. He wouldn't need to be baptized with the Spirit if he was using his divinity. He never performed a miracle or did everything until the baptism. He was still sinless, though. He did not yield to sin. But he had no power over the devil. He had no ministry until he came down from the mountain. Before he went up, he was baptized with power. He had to use the power. He was tested and sifted by God through the devil. And he passed. And when he came down from the mountain, he said he had power over demons. And that was one of the first things he did was cast out demons. Once he defeated Satan, all of the wicked spirits under him were a breeze. See, once he broke the chief power, all the other ones understood. And so they obeyed him, not by will, because he defeated the devil on the Mount of Temptation. He would not sin. He would not disobey God by using his divinity. Okay? So we see he earned it. So when people tell me, well, he did it because of God, I thought, you're a stupid person. Paul and James called people stupid. Christians, they call, he called stupid. It meant foolish. James three times says, you foolish. You think that you can be saved by faith and not have spiritual works. He says, you're a fool. And yet, we have a lot of fools out here, don't we? Okay. So we see who he was and what he was to do. And in doing so, the person had a separate life in himself. He was a full human and that had to obey the Father as a prophet would, as a teacher would, as a devout Jew would. Okay? That's what was required of him. And then, when he lived his whole life, 
he was capable of being the sin offering. And the father could exchange. He could have Jesus represent sinful man. Scripture says he was judged. He was cursed as sin on the cross. Not for his own sins, but for the sin of the world. And God accepted this. Okay? So we see this. The righteous for the unrighteous. So he laid aside, we can say, the closest we understand, his use of divinity. If he used divinity, it's questioned whether he did or not in the flesh. He did it by permission. Most believe he did every miracle by the baptism of the Spirit as a man, as a prophet. But when he was transfigured on the mount, he may have been God then. See, he wasn't. They were being shown something. He was experiencing for a moment of time the glory which he had with God the Father before the world ever was. So he was sort of getting a foretaste of what would happen after the cross, after the death he would have to experience. Okay? So he could be tempted and was. He had no carnal nature. But that did not mean that he could not yield to sin and that it was appealing to him. Evidently, one-third of the angels found that so and were cast out of heaven. Okay? They were angels, and even though they're still referred to as the devil and his angels in Revelations, we can say they're devils. They're not angels of God. They're demons or angels under the power of Satan. So he, as a man, relied on the Holy Spirit and yielded to him and got help during his temptations, got help in his life and doing his ministry as a man. He was in that position without knowledge that Adam was in and Eve before they sinned. Okay? That was the position. But he was given knowledge that Adam and Eve sought the wrong way. So Jesus is going to override, undo, institute something greater besides the fall of man. See, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. It meant he's given more. He's going to show more mercy and more grace. Doesn't mean he's not going to eventually judge all sin. The whole world's going to flee from the wrath of the Lamb. He's going to be the one. He's going to send his angels to cast all the wicked at the end time into the lake of fire. See, he's the control. He's the same as the Father is. See, a lot of people think he's different than the Old Testament. He worked differently in the Old Testament, but he's given more revelation of himself and certain events than he did under the old. Philip said, show us the Father and we'll be happy. See, they wanted to see, like Moses did, the Father's face. They wanted to see him as the burning furnace on the mountain. Even Moses did not see God's face. He saw the hindsight of him. But he meant the full revelation that the angels always behold the face of the Father, which is in heaven. But yet Jesus answered him interesting. They wanted to see God. And then Jesus says to them, interesting thing. He said, how long have I been with you? Three and a half years. And he said, I've been with you for three and a half years, and you do not know me. 
So he was telling them, you're looking for an outward, I'm showing you more of the Father and what God is like than Moses ever saw. And so, see, they were still looking with unspiritual eyes, basically, okay? So we see then that in Romans, because of this, we serve in newness of the Holy Spirit. God is spirit, and we are dealing with him as a spirit, okay? Okay, so now we'll go to four. Now, he's dealt with the human side, what he took on. And four says, who was declared or determined to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, that's a mouthful. So now the divine side, by his obedience and never sinning, and by choice these were, having no indwelling sin and perfectly in obedience to the Father, he became capable of being the perfect sacrifice, the righteous for the lawless, for the sinner. So God says, I'll judge Jesus on the cross for the sin of the world, not for his own sin. Okay, And he was able to do this and be justified and be right in his dealings. He cannot just say, oh, I'll forget about sin. His holiness and justice will not let him. He, he is who he is. He doesn't choose to do it another way. People think God is up there, oh, weeping, because I have to be just. He loves justice. While the wicked in the lake of fire, their torment, their smoke's going to go up before the Lamb and the angels. And in one portion of Scripture, they will rejoice at God's judgment on the wicked. So a little different than we've been hearing about some of this love of God, which is nothing but foolishness. There is no fear of the Lord. There's no holiness of the Lord. Which, by the way, if you add up all the scripture we have, God is holy is mentioned more than any other attribute in the Bible. Okay? Remember, until sin entered a picture through Satan, God never had to exercise wrath. Okay? Or justice. See? So he had to exercise a part of himself to meet who he was, and that's what he did. So because of his wrath and holiness, the wicked shall be tormented day and night in hell with the angels, fallen angels, and the devil. Why is this so? Because they never cease being sinners. They've not been redeemed. They're still sinners in spirit. They will curse God and, and blame him as they're in hell. So as they are still sinners, they will constantly be punished. That's the horror of the lake of fire. Not a one-time deed. Their spirit will live forever. It's called everlasting damnation. So we're either going to get everlasting eternal life or we're going to get everlasting damnation. And so that's why his wrath will continue on them, because they are sinners continually. They'll never stop being sinners, okay? So when he said, it is finished on the cross, first he said, why have you forsaken me? God had judged him for the sin of the world and had broken up. You know, Jesus all of his life always had certain communion with the Father. But in a few moments, it was as if God was gone. 
And he asked the question because that was new to him. And then all of a sudden it come back and he says, it's finished. What's finished is what he's talking about. He completed the whole plan that God instituted for man's salvation and for the glory of God. He completed this. So that's what he said. The judgment of the devil is completed. It's not been carried out until he's cast into the lake of fire. God uses the devil to deceive people who will not follow the truth. We find that in the Old and New Testament. Everything has its purpose in God's economy. He doesn't waste anything. Okay, So the devil and the demons are not under judgment yet, other than they have no peace at all. Anything that was godly in them was removed. So in that sense, but they know there's a final torment coming in the lake of fire, okay? And they want to avoid that. And so Satan did everything he could, but there is no wisdom or counsel against the Lord. So he knew he's judged then. He knew that his time will be short. And the demons knew then when he cast them out on people, they said, what have you come to torment us before the appointed time? We don't want to have nothing to do with you. So they knew when Jesus said it is finished and he died, that they were judged. There was no way out, okay? Just the sentence. So it's like in a, a court of law, a person being found guilty of murder and sentenced to death penalty. Well, the very few that are takes nine to 14 years, but some are eventually sentenced. But they have that period of time. Some of them could possibly get right with God during that time. If they could live at 14 years. Okay. So the resurrection from the dead proved that he was perfect and sinless. See, death could not hold him. Psalm 16 says, you will not leave your holy one in corruption. He could not be corrupted. His body was sustained for three days where his soul and spirit appeared to those in paradise. But no corruption came upon him because there was no sin in him. So corruption and death, the second death, is the consequence of sin. The law pronounces it. But it couldn't do this to Jesus because he never sinned. Okay? And so he said he was resurrected. It's hard for us to understand. Did the Holy Spirit resurrect him, who is the spirit of holiness? It's believed that's what happened because until he ascended into heaven, it appears he did not get his full glory. So the same spirit that baptized him and confirmed his life as being perfect said, here, I'm resurrecting him because he's sinless. So I believe it was the work of the Holy Spirit that raised him to prove that he was the sinless, perfect sacrifice. Death had no power over him. Death could not keep him because there was no sin in him. The spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, raised him. The scripture says, we'll find also, he was raised by, uh, says, the Father had the spirit raised. So we see the Godhead at work here, okay? The Father sent his spirit to raise him from the dead. And so we see that the one facet of this diamond 
we are showing different sides of what God's doing, which he has the complete picture. Sometimes we don't get it all because the scripture says we see through a mirror darkly, but when we enter heaven, we will see and know as we are known. But we are told what we can believe. What we're not told, we better leave alone. People come up with all these visions and dreams and make up these things, and there's no scriptural proof of it. If it's true, it's for them and not for anybody else, but the church and the body of Christ doesn't have to receive it. Just because Joseph Smith said an angel appeared to him, don't mean I believe it. False angels appeared to many people. Okay? Just because a person says, I'm a hope, hope, and when it comes to doctrine, I'm perfect, well, he's a liar. Most of the popes in the past were moral fornicators and adulterers. They were not Christ's body on the earth. I don't choose to believe that, okay? So just because a person has supernatural things happen don't mean a hill of beans. The devil can masquerade. He can send false visions. He can do a lot of supernatural things God permits him to do, okay? So he was sinless. He proven that he was holy and sinless and was accepted by God as the perfect representative for the sinner who would come to him. It's not automatic. People think there are some groups that teach that when Jesus died on a cross, all of mankind will be saved, even the wicked eventually will. Well, that does away with the teaching on hell and judgment, doesn't it? Scripture implies that those will be saved who come to the Lord and to accept the gospel. Most don't. Jesus tells us men love darkness rather than light, and they won't come to the light. He doesn't say they can't come to the light. They don't choose to. And they are given the ability, even in a sinful nature, to make certain choices. See? He knows they can. Every wicked sinner does not have to murder somebody. They don't have to steal. They choose to. Okay. And I've told people before, capital punishment and certain laws do deter people. I've had these foolish people tell me, well, it doesn't deter people when you punish them with death. It sure does. They can't kill nobody else. So what if it doesn't affect the world? It sure affects them. So there are certain punishments I met as examples. And God punished the Jews many times under Israel and Moses for certain events and all through their history. And Paul tells us they were made examples for you, who? The Christian, that you will not live that way. And what does it mean? That you won't get the same judgments. So even one's a Christian. So the Christian and non-Christian doesn't have to do certain sins. They may in their heart hate and despise, but they don't have to outwardly kill people. But they're moved on by a spirit of murder. The devil spirits help them along, but they are still responsible for what they do. So even in the lower covenants, God showed mercy and grace to them. Okay, And sometimes he didn't. If you blasphemed God or worshipped an idol as a part of Israel and you were found out, your wife told on you, your husband told on you, 
and you tried to flee to the altar of mercy and plead for forgiveness, God said, drag them away from my altar and put them to death. See, there were certain things there was no mercy for. So they were warned, don't do certain things because God won't forgive it. And even in the New Testament, those who harden themselves and blaspheme the Holy Spirit, Scripture says, have never forgiven us in this life or the life to come. So there are certain warnings to people. Under certain circumstances, certain Scriptures don't apply anymore. They've exhausted the Scripture of grace. God said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will harden whom I will harden. And not like the heretics say, before they were ever born, God determined this. No, God never hardens a person until they start to harden themselves toward him. That's what Pharaoh did. That's what King Saul did. And they were warned. And they could have heeded the warning until a certain place that God's spirit would not deal with them anymore. So God raised him from the dead. So what did he say, as we said before? And now he says, I will be in you. So when he returned after the ascension, when he first breathed on the first apostles before Pentecost, they were born again. They had the spirit of Christ in them. They did not why Jesus was on the earth. He said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. That's why he said it would be a better covenant than the one he was in. Okay, it's worth reading. Let's first go to Isaiah 9, verse 6. Okay, this is prophecy speaking. For us, or for us, is a child is born, and unto us a son is given. He's referring to Christ, the prophet. Government should be us on his shoulders, and he will be called, who? Jesus Christ, the pre-existing word of God. He's always been. But Jesus, that takes on the human nature, and when he overcomes and sets up his kingdoms on heaven and earth, what does it say? His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor. See, that's through the Holy Spirit. He will be called the Mighty God. So much for people think at the white throne judgment, Jesus is not going to be part of the judgment. There's only one throne, the throne of God and the Lamb, okay? And he says to be called the Almighty God. He will be called the Everlasting Father. Well, how close do you get? The Prince of Peace. So what is it saying? It's saying that he is the God, the Godhead. He is one with the Father. He is no less. Revelations calls him the Almighty God. And one place it says, when he comes back to judge, something will be written on his thigh, the Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Well, John tells us he's God. He's with God and he is God, okay? And when his full glory comes back, he will be in the same position. But he still shall maintain his humanity. And that's why he elevates us. He will still have his humanity. And he will lead us into all ways. He will always be through Jesus and earth and in heaven that we know of the Father. Everything. Now he's acting as the complete intercessor, not only for believers, but for the world. 
It's through him everything's done. He created the world. The scripture says through him he created the worlds. So he's one with the God, with the Father, and he's often called the God Almighty, and he's one with the Spirit. Often the apostles say the Spirit of Christ. Jesus sums it up when he says, when I go away, he said, those who keep my commandments and love me, we will come and live in him. See, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit, we will come and make our living with him. And when you come to heaven, you'll still be in us and you'll live with us, and you'll be in us. And that's what it means for the angels to always see God face to face. They don't run to the throne to look for the Father. It doesn't matter where they're at. They're in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit, because God is everywhere. As Paul said, quoting heathens, actually, he said, we move and live and have our being in him. So the angels... Wherever they are, they're in perfect communion with the Father. They don't have to go to place to place. So there are elevations that we cannot comprehend now, that we will comprehend when we cross over. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us practical application. In Jesus' name, amen.